Good morning, everyone. Uh, with me today is Juno Senator Jesse Keel. Good morning, Jesse. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning, everybody. What an incredible cold snap. Oh, it's great. It's beautiful outside, but we did. We had our first ice on things at my house. Uh, we might have had a little frost that killed a few leaves, but uh, definitely had to scrape the car this morning. Yeah, you got the blower ready? <laughs> the uh, the shovel is what the I shovel. have. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're in the same boat then. In a week, we'll know who are representatives, who are governor, who will be in Congress. Jesse, what are your hopes currently for who voters may ultimately choose? Well, uh, we may not know in a week, right? Because uh, the Division of Elections plans to get all the ballots in before they calculate all the rankings, right? So it, it may take us a while because absentee ballots come from our college students and our uh, military folks who are stationed out of state and and people who are on vacation and everybody else um, who just feels like like uh, voting absentee so before they can do the ranking um, you're going to need to get those ballots in and that that takes a couple weeks we allow for those ballots to come in so every alaskan's vote counts um but I'm I'm uh, optimistic that Alaska voters um, with the new open primaries have a slew of choices, and with ranked choice voting, we're going to get folks I think who who represent uh, what most Alaskans want. Um, I certainly will say I'm I'm uh, optimistic that I'm going back for a couple more years in the Alaska State Senate to represent Northern Southeast Alaska. I uh, I think my odds are pretty good, Kevin. Well. Are you sure about that? <laughs> well, since yeah. nobody's registered to run as a write-in, I don't think uh, any write-in votes get counted here. So, yeah. Fair, fair enough. But, yes, thank you for that reminder, by the way. Yes, in a week we will be voting for. You're, you're correct. We won't know the results quite yet, especially after that special election. It took a moment to get those results as well finalized and to see through the process. Uh, tell us what you see as a helpful congressional delegation. What do you look for when you're in leadership at that level? You know, uh, what you what you really need are people who uh, are, are workhorses, not show horses, um, and people who are more interested in solving problems for Alaskans than in advancing a party's interests, advancing, um, you know, sort of culture warrior agendas, whether those are on the left or the right. Um, and and who can can get to know build relationships with their colleagues? Um, it, it is amazing how much you get done in any legislative body. I'm at the state level; those guys are at the federal level. It's amazing how much you get done by talking to somebody and saying, "Hey, you've got your energy bill. Well, we've got a hydro issue in Southeast. Can I put a little provision in there? Shouldn't hurt what you're trying to do. Big help in my community. And 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 if if you have a good relationship with them, they're much more likely to say, you know, yes, yes, I can help you solve your problem in my bigger thing. Um, if if you spend a lot of time comparing them to Satan, um, they are likely to tell you no. <laughs> so um, we we really Not need... Not much there for bipartisanship. Right, right. So you really need folks uh, who are more interested in doing the work and solving the problems um, than in taking pot shots and, and big swings, looking for knockout blows at the other guys. Um and, and, and permanent uh, political advantage. That's, you know, that's not, I think, what Alaskan voters are looking for us to do. Now that begs the question then, Senator, is there something you would like to see brought to Southeast from the federal level? I mean, you had Ben Denier over to the delegation for the cruise industry. Was there something else you've got your thoughts on now? Well, that, during that pandemic, yeah, we, we were able to get a little bit of, a little bit of traffic uh, back in the second year. Um, and but I, I uh, in that 
trip I made to Washington, D.C. to talk with them about that. We talked about a bunch of issues. We talked about municipal wastewater issues, right? That's just a cost for every community in our district, except for, uh, well, I guess there are two that don't have municipal wastewaters. Um, And and, and we got to work on some of those federal issues that were coming up that were going to raise the cost of our wastewater um, without adding more protections to the rest of our watersheds, right? It, I'm a clean water guy, right? We all need it, but but don't raise costs without raising benefits. Um, and so uh, we've been working on that um, with, for some of our municipal wastewater utilities so that the bills don't have to go up unless they have to go up, unless there's a need, right? Um, and, and we've made some good progress on that. Uh, we've worked with Alaska DEC and the federal EPA. I've worked with our congressional delegation and asked them for help um, on the PFAS issue, which is not a Juno drinking water issue, but it is a drinking water issue in Gustavus and and in many places across our state and, and frankly, around our nation. Um, and, and we uh, continue to, to pursue that. That is a thorny, thorny problem. Um, it's, it's a bigger and more expensive problem in some other parts of our state. Um, but we're not putting that down. Of course, the infrastructure bill, we got a lot for Southeast. We got a lot of help and it's gonna help us rebuild our ferry system um, and modernize our fleet, um, which is which is just colossal and vitally important to our entire region. Um, plus, of course, it's helping in, in ways large and small with other infra- infrastructure around here. I mean, we're, we're looking at that infrastructure bill to fund everything from some footbridges on some of our most popular trails to significant road and bridge issues um, right in the heart of town. So, so lots of important things um, across the spectrum. Um, I'll give you one more before I let you get on to another question, and that is there's something that Juno International Airport has wanted for ages. Uh, we've got the approach lights that go toward the Mendenhall Peninsula and over, you know, right when you come in over the yeah. cut, we've got a little bit of approach lighting that goes in the sunny point direction. But if you can extend that, to, I can't remember what the regulation distance is, you can lower the minimum ceiling and have more planes get in when the weather is crummy. I mean, it's gotten better and better and better. I think about 25 years ago, how many planes overheaded Juno? Now it's pretty rare. We can make it even rarer to have a plane overhead. But you need the FAA to, to fund that because you need the FAA to own that system. Um, and, and the airport's been on this for years. Um, our congressional delegation has made some efforts. Um, we're going to renew those efforts. Uh, and, and just every little thing we can do to make Juno a better place, to make Southeast a more livable place, a more prosperous place that has a federal hook, um, I'm going to work with our delegation to, to see if we can move that forward. And on, on the PFAS matter, because I, I had been wondering, we, we've been putting much thought into the pollution that it has caused, but its use is to suppress fires. Has there been any thought to what are the alternative of PFAS might be, the next material? There are some excellent alternatives, and they're getting very close to certification. So, oh. um, you know, there, no PFAS-containing uh, firefighting foams are used in pretty much all of Europe. <clears throat> so there are alternatives out there that are safe enough for the number of wide-body jets that land at London Heathrow and land at Frankfurt, right? Believe me, there are those foams are plenty protective for the number of wide-body jets that land in Juneau or Anchorage. Um, <clears throat> we, we have good, safe alternatives that put out fires. Um, there is a lot of research being done at American universities, at American firefighter training and technology centers. Um, and, and probably what's going to be the next step is as soon as uh, the United States military puts out a mil spec 
for non-PFAS firefighting foams a on spec? a military specifications. Okay. So a set of standards and specifications um, for these alternative foams so that they can use them at Air Force bases and use them on naval vessels at sea and et cetera, et cetera. Um, that will be the gold standard of safety that everyone will follow. When that's adopted, um, and it's and my understanding is getting quite close, then airports will, you know, FAA and airports will, will follow suit and we won't have um, any new discharges of this stuff in firefighting. And, and to give credit, right, the FAA no longer requires airports to spray this stuff in training. Every airport that sprayed PFAS in training in the United States of America that I'm aware of did it because the Federal Aviation Administration required them to do it. Nobody was goofing around with this stuff. I, I, let's, let's just be real clear. People were behaving the way they were required to and, and the way we thought was responsible at the time. The consequences have been bad. I mean, really bad. Juno is very, very fortunate that our drinking water all comes from way above our airport. And water has this thing it does where it goes downhill. Um, so, so they followed the regulations, yeah. but things still got contaminated. In fact, the regulations caused that contamination. So that was a, that's a real problem. Um, they don't require training with the actual foams anymore, right, to prevent any more contamination. We need to get, that, get it all out of the system. Um, and it's a big job. Um, I continue to work with the Department of Environmental Conservation um, to, to get them to adopt the regulations that we need as Alaskans to cover cleanup and to protect from any additional use of this stuff. There's going to be thousands and thousands and thousands of gallons of it left in state. And we need to make sure it's dealt with appropriately <clears throat> and it doesn't get into any more Alaskans drinking water. But uh, in order to accomplish that, you need a receptive congressional delegation. Well, I mean, it, honestly, the, the, I mean, to just to revisit our earlier point to working with the, the, the congressional the, delegation. This, this is one that the, the state of Alaska Department of Environmental Conservation can solve in 30 days. They can put out regs. They could put them out tomorrow. I mean, they, they had one version that they put out actually in 2018 and they pulled them back but without adopting them. They can put out regs next week, 30-day public comment period, and at the end, depending on the public comment, you can get them adopted. So I guess then 30 days before they're effective. But within a matter of months, Kevin, Alaska can have the tough standards we need to protect people's drinking water. Um, and, and, and it's just past time for us to do that. But with that, we'll take a brief break. We'll be right back. And we're back with Juno Senator Jesse Keel. There's been U.S. House and Senate debates recently, and they all agreed, all the candidates agreed, that bycatch is a problem. And there's been talk of Magnuson-Stevens Act reauthorization. Since that's about fisheries management, might that help, do you think? It, it can help, yeah. And I think, um, you know, the, the work that's been done to, to move that and, and to make some adjustments to the North Pacific Council um, have the potential to, to really help. You know, we there is less bycatch now than there was decades ago. Um, I remember when I was an intern for Ted Stevens, he was gearing up for a Magnuson-Stevens Fisheries Act reauthorization. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and bycatch was a serious issue and a problem then. And... Uh, um, you know, um, we had some some uh, Washington state senators who were not interested in having the bycatch issue addressed. Um, and, and over the decades, uh, things have gotten a little bit better, but we have not enough. 
I mean, we, we just haven't done enough. Uh, and I think that's part of why you see uh, this is such a big issue in the campaigns this year, um, b- because our fish stocks in a lot of places, most of Alaska now are struggling um, and and everything counts uh, when it comes to that ocean survival problem. So, uh, yeah, I think that, that we're going to see that done. And, you know, this is one of those places where Congressman Young worked with folks he normally did not agree with on much. Um, I think Congressman Huffman, Jared Huffman out of California, they, boy, they don't see that, didn't see the world the same way. I mean, at all. But they, my understanding is they got to handshake or pretty darn close to it uh, on the major pieces of that, that reauthorization bill in the House. So to see Congresswoman Peltola uh, take that back up and push that, and then our two senators in, in, in DC work on that, um, I think it's got potential, um, but there's a lot to do, and we really need to make sure um, that we have sustainable fisheries. It's in the Alaska Constitution. It's not in the federal Constitution, um, but it's necessary. Uh, it's it's vital that we have a sustainable fishery. And boy, the amount of fish, good fish, that gets thrown out as bycatch is a problem. And I, I had I had wondered. Be- like we were talking about with PFAS, we were talking about, was there a federal state action that can be done on this particular topic? Do you see state policy coming into play next session? Oh, I, I think it will. Um, <clears throat> you know, the, the st- at the state level, we talk a lot about the Board of Fish, um, and we've had some good successes. Um, you know, the beginning of this current governor's term, uh, the Board of Fish took a radical lurch to one side um, of the sort of sport fish, com fish debate. Um, for the most part, lost a subsistence voice. Now, now the legislature as a whole, I'm not going to claim excess credit. The legislature as a whole has kind of forced that back to something closer to balance now. Um, but the Alaska Department of Fish and Game um, is is trying. They've got to step to the plate. Uh, ADF&G and the Board of Fish at statehood helped Alaskans, and they made some hard, hard decisions. They helped Alaska rebuild fish stocks that were in the toilet. Um, and we came back to be the envy of the world. We're, we're in trouble right now. Um, part of that is climate change. Part of that is the bycatch problem that's mostly federal. Um, but there are some other issues. Um, I and think I saw in the ADF&G report for Juno, king salmon was fine. It was coho and chum that were not doing so hot. I, I wouldn't say our kings are fine, Kevin. Oh, okay. I really wouldn't. Um, so, you know, we I think the Taku River is, is or is on the edge of being a stock of concern. The Chilkat River is a stock of concern for kings. Um, <clears throat> and, and we can go on now. Um, king salmon are... are in real trouble in many places around our state. Uh, this year, we had pretty good returns, pretty decent returns, I guess, of, of uh, reds and, and dogs. Um, that really helped out um, folks around here filling freezers and commercial folks feeding their families, right? Um, paying the bills. So uh, we, we did okay this year, but, but not every stock, not every fish. Um, we've got some issues. Um, ADF and G can't can't take the easy choices. Um, we've, we've got some hard work to do. Another topic has been child care and the high cost of it. There's been suggestions f- uh, from universal pre-K, grants for school districts, or just cut. And 
do you see a possible solution among what's being talked about or perhaps your own solution this this is a this is a perennial problem here in Juneau and it's become um, the same dynamics have led to this problem uh, uh, being a real issue statewide wasn't it, this a problem when you were on the absolutely, assembly absolutely this was a problem long before I was on the assembly when my wife and I had our, our first daughter um, you know it, and, and, and it was before then <clears throat> the economics of childcare are very very hard um, here in Juneau but but that problem has gotten worse all across our state um, and and everybody is feeling it now it has gotten to the point where we have chambers of commerce around the state and the Alaska State Chamber of Commerce making um, government steps to improve child care a priority it's pretty unusual when they come in and say we, we need government involvement but I think it's an acknowledgement of just how big a problem this is both for families who who need to make a living and they need child care to do it and for businesses who need employees and somebody's got to watch those kids and take good care of those kids for parents to come to work um, and if there's not reliable child care mom and dad can't get to work every day that's a problem both for the business and for the household right so we're in this terrible bind um, where starting wages of child care centers all across the state are roughly on par with things like fast food jobs. Um, honest work, but we want childcare workers to have some education in how to, you know, raise kids and read to them and teach them their shapes and their colors and everything. And, and, um, so, so when but, you, but you're saying the wages should meet the demand right now. So families can't pay what you have to pay to pay childcare workers what you need to, um, to get the folks with the skills you want. And that's a problem, right? That's a disconnect that's led us to near a market failure. We've done things, we've taken steps through the years here in Juneau, the assembly has kicked in for many years now, some wage support um, that has helped moderate the problem. We have made zoning easier for home-based child cares. Um, we have taken on a piece of the problem on the sort of upper age range um, with kinder-ready classrooms in schools um, funded by, by the city uh, out of your tax dollars and mine. And I think that's, that, that's all helped. But the gap between what working families make and what you can afford to pay child care workers just continues to grow. And so we're in a statewide problem here that's really hurting working families. There was a little bit of, there's some, I'm curious your take on this because the, between pre-K and childcare, because we saw in the Alaska Reads Act, there was funding for pre-K uh, to expand pre-K in schools. I know it was a little steps, uh, step by step for districts in need. But the point of the question is that if by funding uh, pre-K, are we addressing child care ultimately? Uh, there, a problem this big, a problem this complex doesn't have one ultimate solution. The Alaska Reads Act, by expanding stepwise, one little bit at a time, gradually phasing in statewide voluntary pre-K, um, is going to take some of the pressure off of the child care system but it's not going to address the biggest needs right it's going to be a huge help to families whose kids are going to get to kindergarten ready to learn and ready to read and ready to do the things in school that are going to help us close achievement gaps help us make school more effective for all the grades thereafter but in child care a lot of your biggest problems are infant care 
right? Because you just need more workers per infant. Or well, I mean, you can have a couple of infants per worker, um, but the ratios, right, need to be more intensively staffed for infants than for toddlers, and more intensively staffed for toddlers than for your pre-K age kids, right? So you can help a little bit by taking some of those pre-K kids and putting them in a classroom a pre-K environment. Um, but but you don't address the heart and soul of that issue with the infant slots available in licensed care, the number of infants in home-based cares that don't have full licensure. Um, it, there's a limit on how many we allow for safety um, and for proper child care, a proper, you know, literally taking care of the kids. Um, and, 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 you know, providers understand that. But that's the, where the biggest pinch on the straight-up child care issue is. We have a lot of work to do um, to address those challenges. Is there anything you'd like to add? We're a minute over time. <laughs> well, just just that um, you know, we started talking a little bit about some of the federal races. Um, uh, Tuesday, one week from today, I believe, is election day. If you haven't voted by mail or absentee, get to your polling place. Make a plan now so Tuesday doesn't come up on you. Uh, unawares, unexpected. Make sure you vote. It's the only way a republic, a constitutional representative republic works is if you get out and vote. I think we're going to go stop by the state office building sometime soon. Excellent. Early voting (laughs) is available at the state office building and at the Division of Elections office in the Mendenhall Mall. All right. It will creep up on you. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you, everybody. And thank you, the listener. This is Kevin Allen for Action Line, signing off.